us up when we break This flesh can be wounded and shaky When there's much too much trouble for one heart to take Give us peace when we're torn Give us faith to be strong Give us strength to be faithful This life is not long, but it's hard Give us grace to go Father, we cannot see how the sorrow we feel can bring freedom. And as hard as we try, Lord, it's hard to believe. So give us hearts to find hope. Give us faith to be strong. Give us strength to be faithful. This life is not long. Welcome again. As we come to worship God in this time together, we start with a promise from Jesus Christ, who said, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades, or the gates of death, will not overcome it. That is Jesus' promise. And our first song is a prayer that God would use us in His building project. Let your kingdom come. Jesus 
Before we pray together, I'd just like to read a couple of verses from a psalm that we considered in recent weeks, um, Psalm 125, this is the first, just the first two verses. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be shaken, but endures forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people, both now and forevermore. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you in the name of the Lord Jesus and we come into your presence acknowledging who you are and what you have done for us in Christ. Help us as we pray to realize again your great love for each of your children. We who were once lost in our sins but have now been forgiven of our sin as we have placed our trust in Jesus. The Lord Jesus who took upon himself our sin and suffered and died, taking the punishment that we deserved to bring us back into a living relationship with you. We come with our praises and thanks for the many blessings we have. Thank you that we have a hope which is steadfast and certain, which is based on the many promises you have made to us in Christ. Thank you that uh, this evening we can open your word together and hear what you would say to us. May we, like the psalmist, be a rejoicing people, moved in our hearts as we consider again what you have done for us. Lord, we pray it is our longing that we may have an undivided heart as we seek to live for you. Forgive us that so many things can easily distract us each day. Help us to show our love to you day by day. Father, we ask much of you. Help us to live in the spirit of your Son, for apart from him we can do nothing. And now we remember those in our fellowship who are struggling in different ways, in mental or physical pain, in loneliness, some who are facing death. 
those who have important decisions to make, those whose faith is weak, those who have doubts, and those whose faith has grown cold. Lord, we think of those and we pray for them, those we know in some of these situations. We remember them before you and ask that you will come close to them in your love and grace. Give them help in their time of need. Lord, we hear so much about social distance, but will you prompt us to keep a very close, loving, spiritual and practical concern towards those in need? Remember tonight, especially David and Nancy Harvey, as they try and come to terms with David's cancer diagnosis. For Mike Elliott in the hospice, that you, Lord, will speak to his heart. And for his wife, Jill, you will give her strength during these days. And we pray for our dear sister, Pat Salt, in her weakness, that the radiotherapy will bring her some relief. Lord, would you also strengthen and encourage Margaret Beach, Sue Ferguson, Martin Hill, Norman and Doreen Ellis, Carol Whitehouse, Chris Else. Lord, there are so many we could name. May our brothers and sisters continue to look to you. Finally, Lord, we would pray for our pastors, Tim and Steve, who labour in the word week by week, we thank you for them. Give them wisdom and joy as they seek to serve you in their calling. May the word preached be effective in many hearts. We give you thanks in the name of Jesus. Amen. We're going to hear a version of one of the psalms that we're going to look at this evening, Psalm 126. But I realize it's been a hot afternoon, and so if you would find it helpful to stand as the musicians lead us in this song, then I will stand, and you're welcome to join me in doing that if you find it helpful for keeping yourself alert. But it's The Lord Restored Us, a version of Psalm 126.
This evening we come back to the Psalms of Ascent, this group of 15 songs for pilgrims on their way to Jerusalem. We've been looking at these in sets of three, and both the previous sets of three ended with a focus on Jerusalem, also known as Zion. And now today we come to the third set of three, and we find that all three Psalms in this set have a focus on Zion. But it's certainly not a finished, perfected Zion. We have prayers here for the restoration of Zion. We hear about building work, and we hear about promises of future prosperity. So this is Zion or Jerusalem on its way to what it will be. And when Jerusalem was first mentioned back in Psalm 122, we noticed then that the physical city in ancient Israel was ultimately just a preview of the new Jerusalem. According to the New Testament, the church of Jesus Christ is the eternal city of God. Jesus is the descendant of David who reigns in the new Jerusalem. His people are the city surrounded by the Lord's care and protection. So with that in mind, as we read now Psalms 126 to 128, We can read these psalms and expect to find them speaking not only to an ancient situation, but also to our own situation today, as men and women who belong to the new Jerusalem. So let's read all three together, beginning at Psalm 126, verse 1. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion... We were like those who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are filled with joy. Restore our fortunes, Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat. For he grants sleep to those he loves. Children are a heritage from the Lord, offspring a reward from him. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be put to shame when they contend with their opponents in court. Blessed are all who fear the Lord who walk in obedience to him. You will eat the fruit of your labor. Blessings and prosperity will be yours. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Yes, this will be the blessing for the man who fears the Lord. May the Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you live to see your children's children. 
Peace be on Israel. This is God's word. And it points us to the sure and certain harvest, the true builder and guard, and the key to fruitfulness and prosperity. First, in Psalm 126, the sure and certain harvest. The six verses of this psalm fall into two very neat halves. Verses 1 to 3, look backwards with joy at what God has done. Verses 4 to 6, look forward to joy because of what God will do. Verse 1 looks back to a time when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion. What does the songwriter have in mind when he says that? Well, it could be any number of things. At different times, the people of Jerusalem experienced famine They experienced plague. They experienced siege from enemy armies. They even experienced captivity and exile. And we can't be precise about which deliverance and restoration the psalmist has in mind. But what's worth noticing is, this is not just an individual thing. Those who sing this psalm are concerned about something greater than just their own personal well-being. What they care most about are the fortunes of Zion. Its restoration made them giddy with joy and relief. That's what's described at the end of verse 1, which says, we were like those who dreamed. In other words, when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we thought it was too good to be true. We thought it must be a dream. But then we realized we weren't dreaming. And it was true. And then, verse 2, our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. Jerusalem and its people seemed to be down and out. Zion's time seemed to be up. But the Lord turned it around. And the nations sat up and took notice. And if we relate this to the new Jerusalem, we can think about times in history when the church seemed to be down and out. But the Lord brought revival and renewal to the extent that even the wider society sat up and took notice. There have been times like that in this country. Other parts of the world are experiencing times like that right now. For God's people, those are times of great joy, times of amazement at the great things God is able to do, and the impact the church can have on the wider world. But you and I do not live in a time like that right now. And the psalmist himself is not writing in a time like that. He's able to look back on great things the Lord has done. But those things are very definitely in the past as he writes. Now he prays in verse 4, restore our fortunes, Lord. Do it again. We can't pin down exactly why the psalmist is praying this, but certainly he's living in a dry, unfruitful time. Things are not going well. The wider world is not 
in awe of God's power and goodness. He prays for God to display His restoring power again. And the psalmist would prefer that power to come like streams in the Negev. The Negev is a desert area to the south of Jerusalem. It was normally dry. In fact, commentators tell us few places were more dry and arid than the Negev. But when rain came, the place could be transformed very quickly. Transformed into a place where dry gullies were filled with torrents of water. And the psalmist would love to see sudden blessing pour down on God's people like that, like torrential rain. He'd love to see a transformation that was instant, where dryness becomes fruitfulness just about overnight. And it could happen that way. The God who sends torrential rain on the Negev can bring sudden transformation in the fortunes of His people. When Christ returns, it will happen that way. The New Testament says we will be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye. And in the meantime, there are times when God seems to tip a bucket of blessing over the church, or even a whole barrel of blessing that comes like a deluge. But that is not the normal way. And it seems that here God makes clear to the songwriter it won't come that way in his situation. Notice how verse 4 is the psalmist's prayer. Then verses 5 and 6 seems to be the answer he receives from the Lord. He asks for a sudden deluge to restore the fortunes of Zion, but the Lord says restoration will come, but it will come slowly. Look at verse 5. Those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. There will be a harvest. There will be reaping and songs of joy. But that harvest will come after hard work and tears. There will be weeping before there's rejoicing. You and I would love it, wouldn't we, if God just told us to kick back with a nice cold Coke and He would turn on the fire hose of blessing. But God says, No, I want you to sow. Spread the word, live lives that back up your message, sow, and keep on sowing. Invest your time and energy in the fortunes of Zion. Put your back into it. Put your heart into it. Shed tears for the fortunes of Zion. And in my time, I will give you cause to sing for joy. I will give you reaping to do. I will give you sheaves to carry home. When an Israelite in the ancient world went out to sow, he was literally scattering his resources on the ground. Whatever he had went into buying that seed. So he was staking everything on the seed producing a harvest. It was a deadly serious investment. 
And God calls his people to make a similarly serious investment in the fortunes of the new Jerusalem. Pour yourself into it. Put your best years and your best energies into it. Care about it so much that you will weep over it. And do all that knowing this. However long it takes, however long the harvest is delayed, there will be a harvest. The weeping will be replaced with songs of joy. The Lord who has done it before will do it again. He calls us to hard work. He calls us to commitment. And he also promises us a sure and certain harvest. So when it seems to be too hard, when it feels like there are too many tears involved, when in your opinion it's been far too long, don't give up. Don't give up praying for your family. Don't give up speaking to your colleague your neighbor. Don't give up putting your back into service in the church. Keep going and there will be a harvest in God's time. And as we keep going, let's remember the true builder and guard. Psalm 126 ended with a farming picture. Psalm 127 switches to building a city. But they're two pictures of the same thing. They're both ways of thinking about the fortunes of Zion. We can think of it as a harvest that comes after sowing, and we can think of it as a building project that also needs to be guarded from attack. But however we think of it, the crucial point is that the Lord is the true builder and guard. Psalm 126 ended by calling God's people to sow, to work hard for the fortunes of Zion. And Psalm 127 then makes sure that we don't fall into the trap of thinking success is down to us. Look at verse 1. Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. Notice this is still not an excuse for us to kick back permanently with that ice-cold Coke we mentioned earlier. Zion needs builders and it needs guards, just like it needs sowers of seed. And here verse 1 assumes that God's people will be builders and guards. We will work to make progress. We'll work to conserve the gains that are made. But behind and above your efforts and my efforts, it's ultimately the Lord who builds and watches over what's being built. And so then, you and I need to be very careful that our building efforts are in line with what the Lord is building. We need to be careful that what we work to preserve and guard are things the Lord is concerned to preserve and guard. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul spoke of himself as a wise builder, and he was speaking about his efforts to see the church of Jesus Christ built. Here's what he said, by the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder. And someone else 
is building on it. He's referring there to his co-workers who carried on what he started. But each one should build with care, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. That's the day when Jesus returns. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. As Paul wrote those words, I would not be surprised if he had Psalm 127 in mind. He knew God was building the church. And if Paul and his co-workers put their time and energy into stuff that went against what God was doing, if they put their emphasis on anything other than Jesus and His great salvation and the call to follow Jesus, if they deviated from that, then no matter how much effort they put in, their building would be in vain. And their efforts, efforts to preserve what they built would be in vain. Because when Jesus returns, their efforts would vanish in a flurry of smoke like wood, hay, or straw. And if we go against the grain of what God is doing, then our building efforts are in vain. If we want our work to count and to last, it must be in line with what God is doing. And the way to be sure of that is to make God's Word central in all we do. Not just central in theory, but actually. God's Word must determine what we teach and what we do. Back in Psalm 127, the main point is that God is the builder and guard. And if you and I forget that, we end up in the situation described in verse 2. In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat, for He grants sleep to those He loves. And once again, this is not telling us that hard work is a bad thing. It's not saying we should never rise early or stay up late to work. The key question is, what is fueling our hard work? What's driving it? Are we working hard and leaving the results with God? Or are we working so hard because we believe the results depend on us? Is it desperate anxiety that's fueling our work? That's the question. The phrase toiling for food to eat is literally the bread of anxious toil. And that's speaking about something more than hard work. That's hard work fueled by the belief that we are the ultimate builders of the city. And we are the ultimate guards of the city. It's all down to us. And if we go to bed early, if we have a lie-in, everything might go wrong. Work in this world will always involve the sweat of our brow. It will always involve toil. But it doesn't have to be anxious toil. It turns into anxious toil when we start thinking success depends on us. That's true when it comes to our parenting. It's true of our careers. 
because God is the ultimate builder there too. It's not like things in the church are down to Him and the stuff you do Monday to Friday is down to you. And when it comes to our prayers and our witnessing and the various ministries we carry out in the church, all of it can turn into anxious toil. But look how verse 2 ends. He grants sleep to those he loves. Or the meaning could be, while they sleep, he provides for those he loves. The NIV has a footnote pointing out that alternative translation. So this could be saying, sleep is a gift from the Lord who builds. Or it could be saying, we can well afford to stop work and take the sleep we need because God carries on His building work even while we're sleeping. And He continues to preserve Zion even while we sleep. Could be either. And in fact, why not both? Sleep is a good gift from God. And it's also true that we can sleep without anxiety. Because as we heard back in Psalm 121, the Lord Himself does not slumber or sleep. Someone has said, we can sleep precisely because God does not. Zion is not going to crumble just because you or I have an early night. Neither is your business or your family or that friend you're trying to support in a messy situation. No good God-honoring endeavor is going to go to pot because you switch your phone off for the day or leave your phone in the downstairs cupboard overnight. And so we make God's Word our compass and guide. We do our best in line with God's Word. We toil. And we also stop to rest because He is the true builder and guard. And when we rest, wonderfully, He carries on working. But how does the second half of verse 20, Psalm 127 fit into all this? Well, I suppose it's possible the psalm just takes a complete right turn in verses 3 to 5 and deals with something totally different. But I think it's much more likely this is another picture of Zion being built up. In Psalm 126, that was illustrated with the picture of sowing and then reaping a harvest. Then here in Psalm 127, we've just had the picture of building and guarding a city. And I think verses 3 to 5 are giving us a third picture of Zion advancing. It says, children are a heritage from the Lord, offspring a reward from Him. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be put to shame when they contend with their opponents in court. We all know how children are conceived. We all know how they arrive. There's a cause and effect. Do this and you'll have a baby. But not always. Even today, with all of our modern medical expertise, fertility is not truly under our control. 
children are, are still ultimately a gracious gift from God. We have no right to conceive and bear children. When they come, always they come as gracious gifts. And verses 3 and 4 point out what a blessing children are, what effectiveness they can have in carrying things forward. They're compared to arrows in the hands of a warrior. Verse 5 describes them contending. They can take the work begun by the parents and see it through. And if we glance up to the top of Psalm 127 and notice that the author apparently was Solomon, that helps verses 3 to 5 fall nicely into place for us. Because it was David who began the work of building up Jerusalem. But it was Solomon who carried that work on. Extending the city, building the temple, and lifting Jerusalem to new heights of prosperity and influence in the world. Children have always been vital to the city of God. They are the next generation. That's why the book of Deuteronomy calls repeatedly on the people of God to impress God's instruction on children. And if we widen it out beyond biological children in the church, if we widen it out to include new children of God who join the church from outside through conversion, we know those kind of children are vital too. We need new converts to carry things forward. And we work for that. But we remember too, whether we're talking about new babies being born or new converts being made, it is true in both cases that those children are a heritage from the Lord. When families grow, including the family of God, He has caused it. And so Psalm 127 is in fact using two different pictures to make the same simple point. Whether we think of the church as the city of God or the family of God, it is God who builds His city. It's God who causes His family to grow. And so even as we work hard, we can rest easy, knowing He is the true builder and guard. And then finally, Psalm 128 gives us the key to fruitfulness and prosperity. We've touched on this already, but here in this psalm, it is spelled out for us. When we sow our seed, as Psalm 126 called us to, when we build and guard, as Psalm 127 expects us to, how do we go about it? Psalm 128 verse 1 says, Blessed are all who fear the Lord, who walk in obedience to Him. That is the key to fruitfulness and prosperity. And it's fruitfulness and prosperity that start at home and work their way outwards. Notice how verses 2 to 4 describe family life. Then verses 5 to 6 widen it out to the prosperity of Jerusalem and future generations. 
If we start with verses 2 to 4, the immediate impact of fearing the Lord and walking in obedience to Him is the good it does at home. The family are compared to plants, thriving and fruitful. And that doesn't simply mean the wife will have children and there'll be lots of them. It's about more than that. It's all around thriving. So is this a promise that those who fear the Lord and walk in obedience to Him will always have perfect harmony at home? That things will always glide along smoothly and happily at home? Is this a promise that children will always come to walk in obedience to the Lord too, like their parents? No, it's not promising that, but it is saying in one way or another, fearing the Lord and walking in obedience to Him does bring blessing on your family. Even if they don't come to fear the Lord and walk in obedience to Him, even if they don't become fruitful in that way, they have still been blessed by your faithfulness, by the fact that God has been honored in your home. And when there is fruit in your family, it may not appear for a long time. In verse 3, the children are compared to olive shoots. And apparently, olive trees may not bear fruit till 40 years after they're planted. So even the description that's used here acknowledges the fruits of fearing and obeying the Lord don't come like they do in a vending machine where we pop in the right money and out comes the product we asked for. We already know from Psalm 126, there will likely be tears before there are songs of joy. But the way to sow good seed in our families, the kind of seed that's likely to produce good fruit, the way to do that is to fear the Lord and walk in obedience to Him, as verse 1 said. And when verses 5 to 6 then widen this out, they're still speaking about the person who lives that way, the person from verse 1. May the Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you live to see your children's children. Peace be on Israel. Just like the previous two Psalms, ultimately Psalm 128 is concerned with the prosperity of Jerusalem. Above and beyond our individual families, God is concerned with the progress of His city, which today is the church of Jesus Christ. And the songwriter realizes in verse 5, in his day, God's blessing came from the temple in Zion. Ezekiel pictured that blessing flowing out from the temple. And today, God's blessing comes to us from the church. Through the church, God brings his word to teach us and correct us and equip us. 
And through the church, God brings us help as our brothers and sisters in Christ love us and care for us. The church should never be a safe place for abusers and hypocrites to hide. But it should always be the place where men and women who want to fear the Lord and walk in obedience to Him can find encouragement and can find support. The Lord blesses His people from His city. And as you and I seek to honor Him, we contribute to the prosperity of His city. He builds His city amazingly through us. And He does it all the days of our life, as verse 5 says. So please don't ever think your days are being used to build the church are over. Just because you've hit a certain age or stage of life. As you continue to fear the Lord and walk in obedience to Him, you can help build up the church all the days of your life. Maybe even as you fear Him and walk in obedience to Him through difficulties and disappointments, including the difficulties and disappointments of ill health. That perseverance in the faith can have an impact on those who are younger in the faith. It can encourage them to keep going. It can show them it is possible to keep going. Alec Motcher says, the heart of Psalm 128 is the absolutely crucial importance of individual godliness. Whether I like it or not, streams flow out from me either pure and life-giving or polluted and corrupting. So, for God's sake and the sake of our families and the sake of His church, let's take godliness seriously. Each one of us, all the time. And as we do that, let's remember God Himself is the true builder and guard of His church. And because of that, even when you and I find ourselves sowing on hard, dry ground, when we find ourselves sowing with tears, we can look forward to a sure and certain harvest. The weeping will give way to songs of joy at what God has done. So as we close, let's take a moment to ask ourselves, do I need to renew my commitment to sowing? Have I become discouraged by the dry time that we live in? Have I begun to wonder if God will ever restore the fortunes of His new Jerusalem? Deep down, have I lost hope of that? As we listen to these pilgrim songs, do you need to take up your calling again and move forward walking in obedience to the Lord, trusting Him to bring a harvest in His time, 
Maybe you are serving faithfully and you are serious about obedience. And what you need to take to heart today is the truth that it's not all down to you. The Lord builds His city and He guards it too. So you can work hard. And in between your hard work, you can rest. Because the Lord continues building His city even when you and I are asleep. Our last song reminds us, in all of this, you and I are called as God's people to walk by faith. Trusting God's promise that He will build His city. By faith we see the hand of God. Call upon his name. We will stand.
Those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. The Lord is faithful, and He will do it. Amen.